Hello there and welcome to the second episode of A Plea for Sanity. We'll be discussing the topics of alienation and what the Queen's passing will mean for the rest of the UK and what this will mean for the future of this country and whether or not we will become a republic or if we will stay with the archaic system of monarchy or in our case constitutional ceremonial monarchy. I first wish to thank those who are tuning into our second episode and we'll now be going on to our first topic which will be about alienation. With the first topic of today, I think I just wanted to speak about my observations of what I've seen so far being in a new city. And I would think I wanted to speak about the topic of alienation. It's something that if you haven't really experienced before, that it's hard to put into words. And I think I just wanted to express how I felt about being in a new place, a new city with new people and experiencing that. I think I first want to start by defining the term alienation. And what I mean when I say to be alienated in one's environment, what I mean by it, because I don't think Google gives that well of a definition, is about not feeling that sense of belonging as if that you're in a place of somewhere you're not supposed to be, as if you don't fit in somewhere. I think after speaking to experience here at university, I think a lot of, especially as people of colour and queer people have felt alienated in this environment, not only are we away from home for the first time in our entire lives but we're in an environment where we don't exactly feel not that we don't feel welcome but not only we're a minority group but it's very clear and I think for some of us it's the first time in our lives it's very open that we are not the majority where we are. What I've seen how I've seen this mostly is I've seen how going to certain parties and events I've seen black people in them and I can see their visible discomfort in their faces and their body language and their mannerisms whether it's something as simple as to say that the music we're having to listen to isn't what we necessarily will be listening to if we're at home or the fact that the people are around we're just not standing or fitting in with or the inside jokes and the activities that people want to participate in are just very clearly things that we're just not interested in and that's not just to race but also being queer or just in general if you feel as if you're an outsider and putting that in air quotes a lot of us are having to experience so many firsts. So I've heard some people say you had to experience being the only black person in a room. For some people, that is a new experience for themselves. Having to be the only queer person in a space, you know, whether it's with the people they're living with or such as, you know, one or very few women in their environment. And I think having to experience in these firsts is a, a really big culture shock to some people. I would say for myself, that being in this environment isn't necessarily a shock to myself. However, it's the, once I become, I'm a very, I'm very observant. Once I can see that this is the environment I'm in, it, it can't, I can't help but make a mental note of it in my head that this is what I'm experiencing. I, I think I've also experienced the feelings of alienation at times where I've had to be in spaces with, with class dynamic, you know, like it was diverse in every other aspect, but the fact that I came from the background that I came from and the people I both were clearly from an upper class background, the way that I was you know, the way I was kind of singled out and treated and tokenized for my race, that it I felt very alienated by that because it was very clear that we had we were from very different social standings. And I don't think people on the periphery on the outside are even thinking about those things in those spaces. I also find myself feeling as if I'm catching myself and being a bit vague here because obviously I don't want to speak on other people's stories or tales, but I think that I'm just wondering that 
if we are all feeling this version of alienation that we are not we do not feel comfortable in the environments we're in how much of that is down to ourselves personally um, versus the environments that we are in not making us feel welcome not making us feel as if we belong in them you know nobody should feel as if i don't belong here or i don't fit in or i feel incredibly awkward right now and I do think some of that is the institutions that we are being put in fault and some of that is also down to the groups of people not feeling safe or comfortable to be stepping into those environments you know why would queer people feel necessarily comfortable being themselves in a in a very heteronormative space i know i felt that at times wanting to express express myself in certain ways and feeling as if i couldn't do that and it's understandable that those outside of this group flock to those who they are more familiar with and they tend to congregate themselves around those people, therefore alienating those on the outside. In saying that, that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it okay. None of us should feel excluded from in environments where we have to be together. None of us should feel excluded. Obviously, statistically, we are going to be excluded from things. As human beings, we, there's always going to be in-groups and out-groups. And even us, you know, even yourself as an individual, you've, exclu- you've probably excluded somebody at least once in your life from something, whether you were a child playing a game or you were excluding someone from something you just didn't want them to be a part of, whether it was valid or not. None of us are crazy. You're not crazy for thinking, hey, I feel out of place here. I don't feel like I belong here. Like where are my people effectively you know that the feeling of it's not loneliness the feeling that you don't fit in and it's not necessarily this is it me like no it's not you you are being purposely alienated by your environment and by the people that we've been set up around us by the institutions that we're around by being placed as the predominant minority of whatever group that we've been categorically placed into that you're not alone i i feel this um at times i feel this even in places where i shouldn't feel it at all i feel alienated in the groups that i should be akin to and brother to i feel alienated in and then i feel alienated as the groups that obviously are the majority and if you feel this way that you are not alone i feel it too and many others around you are very much feeling it you know we all come here with these optimistic ideas of how our experience life and this is not just to do university this can do with work in any other situation where we're being placed in environments that are not necessarily of our choosing but ones that we have to navigate with i'm not here to come up with solutions for this problem as i just wanted to point out my observation of it in real time as i'm experiencing it I think some things I've done to cope with that alienation is just sort of throwing myself into the absurdity of the situations I've been in and the obvious the obvious way that I'm being treated in some of these spaces and how it's very clear that I don't fit in them but still choosing to thrive in them regardless in choosing to extract every piece of enjoyment that I can out of it. I mean, we can stand in the place that we're in, feel uncomfortable, or we can embrace the cringe and the uncomfortableness of it, embrace that in of itself. There's also finding people that you fit in with, finding people that, you know, you link with and then going along with that. That's obviously a solution to it. But I just wanted to highlight the fact that this, this alienation is happening to those that, you know, to people of colour, queer people, women, 
people that don't fit in around us and that um there's nothing that and that one those who are experiencing the are not alone if you think someone is feeling that do everything you can to help them fit in to that to situation we're all experiencing this together and nobody should feel that way if we are feeling that the way that we do something about it that we don't suffer there because you know we only get one life and the idea that you know we're having a poor time in it is not ideal whatsoever i think thinking about being alienated is quite an abstract topic to think about it's it's basically highlighting the fact that you are a foreigner in the environment that you're in and this is not a new idea and people felt in it before where they've been immigrants um coming over to the uk thinking that they would belong in this new society this new world and then therefore then to be treated as if they are some kind of threat to um, the people that live here and treated as an other so these ideas of alienation are not new but i feel like it's very difficult to put into words what that really is what it's like to feel that other than just to say it's feeling excluded but but it's feeling excluded on a societal scale it's feeling excluded on a mass scale and it's it's not an individual thing it's it's almost a targeted thing it's one of those things that is done collectively to collective groups of people and it's consistently the same groups of people that feel this alienation and if that is the case then it's something that needs to be not only brought to light but it needs to be exposed for what it is which in some cases it's just homophobia and racism and sexism and all those things and sometimes it is part of us alienating ourselves from these certain sections of society and not choosing not to participate because we feel as if we're going to be alienated almost preemptively you know alienating ourselves before we can feel that level of alienation we need to stop doing that if you are doing that if you feel scared that you are not you're not throwing yourself in something because you're scared that the that whether or not you'll be reciprocated well first of all it don't count yourself out before you can be counted you never know what sort of you never know what's going to happen before it actually happens unless you have some sort of clairvoyant powers that we're not aware of and if you do please message me um you don't know what's going to happen and we really should be throwing ourselves into more things i was even thinking about the fact that i was looking around and there i mean at least where i've chosen to go to there are very few black people at university it's very clear that we're a minority here there obviously are some but there aren't a lot so you know why have we chosen to alienate ourselves from this and obviously that can be answered in a plethora of ways a lot of those are not our fault it's due to the way our education system consistently fails us some of it is our fault with the way our culture at least on this on my part of my culture and the way we advertise it especially towards black men um are we really pushing aspirations of education um or if we are you know what are we pushing in tandem what is stopping us from you know pushing these educational boundaries but obviously if it starts to happen to so many people how many that how much can we say is our fault as individuals versus society and how it's negatively affecting us choosing to alienate us from these practices because obviously we're not being included in them because if we were then we would we would be here we would we would be here and if we're not here there's a specific reason for that and we should not only get to the bottom of it but we definitely shouldn't count ourselves out and we should be actively pursuing these things because if they don't want us to be here we need to be here even more you know if they're trying to push us out we need to make sure that we're at the front of the door because 
we are not at the front of that damn door. We need to be right in front of it. I would say that concludes our first topic of a plea for sanity. So let's move on to our second topic of discussion. From the place where I wrote this script, it has been some time since the Queen's passing. So what I wrote originally, there'll be no easy segue to this, but I think with the time that we've seen and how the transition from going from Queen Elizabeth to King Charles and what that has meant for the UK. Initially, I wanted to discuss what this would mean for ourselves as a country and our identity and how we will define ourselves going forward. And not just ourselves as meaning the UK, but also the countries where the Queen was the head of state um, officially. So what this has meant going forward is that the topic of republicanism has been brought back into the conversation with those who have protested outside during the Queen's lying in state about getting rid of the monarchy and with people talking about do we need to continue having such an old and imperialistic colonial routine still being enacted in the UK, whether or not it is ceremonial or not. These things still have power and in symbols and what they represent. And for many groups of people, monarchy represents the brutal and decimation of empire. But what I wanted to bring to the conversation was something that I don't think people want to talk about on either side of this conversation. The monarchy is, yes, ceremonial, but is very much still political. And the arguments morally for getting rid of the monarchy are sound. It is an old institution. It does have a long history, past and present, of hurting, not just hurting, but completely destroying cultures all around the world. Now, it's very easy to look at the monarchy, the highest form of symbol of elitism and inequality and hierarchy. The idea that we put one person at the top of all of us, above all, and that we are supposed to be sit as their subjects. I mean, on the principle of fairness and representation, that doesn't represent me, and I don't think that represent many people who would be listening to this podcast at the moment. However, when we talk about abolishing the monarchy, we would have we have to talk about republicanism. We have to talk about what that would mean for ourselves as a country and as a people. And yes, the arguments on principle of how we want to be seen and how we want to be represented are 100% sound. We have to discuss what that would mean for the future. And I think the problem with those who advocate for getting rid of the monarchy, they do think on the short term and they do argue on those principles, but they don't argue the political. So I'm going to bring some of those arguments to the forefront today and just have everyone have sort of think about the conversation because getting rid of the monarchy doesn't necessarily mean that okay the queen or the king now will just go and that's it no that does mean a huge political change to our whole political system because the monarchy is while very ceremonial is still very much tied into our parliament and the way our system and governance is run so let's get into some of those arguments So what I'll be starting off with, I'll be starting off from a quotation I found online against the arguments against getting rid of the monarchy. If you are someone who is an opponent of getting rid of the monarchy, I wish for you just to listen to what I have to say today. I want the conversation to turn towards what do we have afterwards? What do we do after getting rid of the monarchy and how we want our country to be run afterwards? Because a lot of people, they think about revolution, but they don't think about what life will be like after the revolution. It's not all sunshine and roses. And I think we should listen to this first quote. So 
The only obvious upside to being a republic are, it seems right in principle, that it enshrines egalitarianism and is written in the constitution. But as the United States and Russia demonstrate, egalitarianism is the meaningless in practice for most of its members. Congress are millionaires and the wealthy write the laws and suit their social class and oppress the poor. And I think that's a very poignant thing to point out. Look at our current now Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. He is the richest MP that has ever been and he is supposed to represent those and govern laws on us and he seems to be bringing austerity 2.0. Now, if we were to move towards republicanism, we would most likely move towards a presidential system. I personally could not find an example where a country had a, well, other than maybe Ireland, for example, which has a more ceremonial presidential style, but most countries in the world run on a president is at the top and governs politically, not ceremonially, and then everything else is devolved the political hierarchy. Now, just to have some context everybody knows, so, for example, at the moment we have a king. The king does not exercise political power due to because if the king did exercise political power, then we would have a constitutional crisis, as we mainly govern as a democratic society where parliament makes decisions on behalf of the people and the lords and the monarchy don't step in that way. If we had a president, the president could veto laws and not just write them in and sign them in by parliament, but veto them, create their own laws, they would have governance and power, their power would not just be ceremonial. And if we were to make the argument that if we got rid of the monarchy, we could have a presidential system that would be like the monarchy, but just elected, well, that sounds all great and dandy, but let's be honest with ourselves here. Do we think the current political party or the, our current political system protects us from the insatiable greed and ambition of politicians in order to put themselves in higher places of power? What stops us from becoming an America for example, where one person decide laws on their own and exercising their own executive power. And would we as a country, would we want a presidential system? When we poll people consistently on the monarchy, people consistently, if I remember correctly, a YouGov poll stated that 70% of the UK population was in favour of being a monarchy. And when we poll um, republicanism, it polls quite low, usually within the um, 22% percentile. This country is already moving towards a more well, more so, less democratic system, whether we're having our voting rights being challenged in London, for example, the way that we elect mayors is changing in London, and it will, we are moving towards a first-past-the-post system in London, so less people would actually have a say on who is mayor. We are seeing the Conservatives gerrymander certain seats to enshrine their power for as long as possible, despite the people in this country consistently showing they do not support the Conservatives, when a vast majority of people do not vote for Conservatives do not vote for the Conservative Party. So when we look at that and having a more democratically elected head of chamber, head of state, would we trust there to be one person? Who would that one person be? Would it be our current prime minister? That head of state would represent our country the same way our queen did represent the country and now King Charles, you know, no matter how you feel about him, he is going to be a figurehead, a symbol, a diplomat who's going to go around the world and talk and do speeches. And yes, that role can be elected. Seeing some of the buffoons that have been bestowed upon us as of recent, whether it had been Boris Johnson or Liz Truss and now Rishi Sunak, I don't think I would feel comfortable or trust 
that we would have someone who would be a head of state that wouldn't be a national embarrassment. Say what we want about the Queen, but the Queen never embarrassed us. She never. She did her, her job, her duty, as she did, and regardless of how we think of her as a person or what the monarchy represents, she did the damn thing. Also, when we talk about instilling a presidential system over having a constitutional monarchy, how would our, what would our voting system be like? Would it continue being first past the post? That wouldn't exactly be the most democratic or be the most representative. And to continue to list off negatives of having a presidential system by highlighting problems with our own current system of governance, having a presidential system, what would presidents do to continue to enrich themselves and other MPs? Would they deliberately veto laws that have gone through parliament, which they would have the power to do so, because a president wouldn't exactly be a purely ceremonial position, as I've said before, it would be a, definitely be a political one. Because we have to admit, why would the politicians install a presidential system becoming a republic if it didn't mean that they could increase the power for themselves? And in that regard, would anything really change? We saw how politicians you know, acted during COVID, how they completely slighted the rules to benefit themselves, whether it meant partying or siphoning off money that was supposed to be given to the NHS to enrich their friends and donors, whether it came to the track and trace scheme that they were and they were doing. These people are not exactly the people I would want in charge and just having one person to be able to choose and decide how we govern as a country. And yes, we could have a mainly ceremonial system, but we have to admit to ourselves that would never happen if we got rid of the monarchy. We would not have a ceremonial system. It would 100% be a political one because we don't have people in power now that actually care about people. So with saying that, I have come up with some other things that should be focused on instead of abolishing the monarchy. Again, it doesn't change the principle of it. Getting rid of the monarchy makes 100% sense. We shouldn't have one person that is stated to be above us all in the eyes of God which I don't even believe in, whether you do believe in or not. No one is born above anybody else, but there are those who choose to put themselves there, whether out of greed or just insatiable power or maybe wanting to help people. We first need to talk about the fact that our media is pretty much owned by the right wing and by those like Rupert Murdoch who choose and decide who is going to be in power. If we are going to move towards a republic, we have to deal with our media bias and the way it dictates and propagandizes people into forming certain political leanings. If we do not deal with that, we will just have a worse system than we already have with our current parliamentary system. But it'll be even less representative because we're putting one person in a head position. Even if they're elected, it doesn't necessarily make it better. Democracy is an amazing thing, but it is only as good as those that we choose to enact it and will it. And by that, what I'm trying to say is that it's only as good as much as we fight for it and how much we demand for ourselves to be a truly democratic system. And that easily segues way into the next point that we must do something about our voting system first past the post, representation. We cannot continue with a first past the post system. We need something that truly represents everybody that chooses to cast a ballot. And I know voting is not everything. We must get on the streets. We must protest. We must get more active and involved. These are things we all have to do before we can even think about republicanism. Because if we just go towards changing ourselves through abolishing the monarchy and getting rid of it, who is that going to benefit? And I think that's the question I want to ask today, just to leave you with. 
So that concludes our second episode of a plea for sanity. I hope you enjoyed this second episode. I definitely enjoyed making this one. But anyways, I hope you enjoyed the episode and hope you have a great rest of your day. Take care. And this has been a plea for sanity.